Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Ruth, the first chapter. There are only four chapters in the book of Ruth. If you were to try to define the book of Ruth, just put a T in front of it. Truth. And you have dispensational truth, you have doctrinal truth, and you have gospel truth. So if you want to define it, you could just put a T in front of the book of Ruth, and you would have a definition if you'll think of those three things, of the truth of God's Word, that dispensational, doctrinal, and gospel truth. A three-point outline of this whole book would be deserting and deserted in chapter 1, deserting and deserted. They desert the land of, of plenty. They go to the land of desert, and they are deserted there. Naoma and the, her family, Elimelech, and that's what they, they end up in trouble. And then the second chapter is humiliation. But help comes in from the strong one. Boaz means strength is in him. And then the third and fourth chapter, you have restoration and redemption. So that might be a three-point outline that you would like to uh, think of in the book of Ruth. Deserted and deserted, or humiliation uh, but helping the strong one, chapter 2, and then restoration and redemption, chapters 3 and 4. There are so many ways you can summarize this book. In studying the book of Ruth, you have one primary basic interpretation, you have many practical applications, and you have a prophetic revelation. We'll deal with it from the human standpoint instead of the prophetic standpoint, but all th three of these things are included in this book of Ruth. Also, you find, uh, if you want to divide it up again, a happy family and a great famine and the soon return. You have a happy family, but they go away from the, the land and then they have troubles and problems. In this first chapter, let's look at the first chapter now, if you will, and we'll read a few verses and then come back and comment on it. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled... This sets the time element of the book of Ruth. That there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naoma, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpha. The name of the other was Ruth. The name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt, dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return the, from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's, mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with uh, the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that uh, you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet 
any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say I have hope, uh, if I should have an husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpha kissed her mother, mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or return from falling after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part uh, thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath uh, brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, uh, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Well, that's the first chapter. Now then, when we study the first five verses, we're going to have loneliness, the loneliness of widowhood. She becomes a widow. And not only a widow, she's bereaved of her two sons as well. And so we find uh, verses 1 through 5, we find a famine in the land uh, in the days of the judges. The time element of this book of Ruth is set in the time when the judges ruled or were in power. And if you look back in the book of Judges, I believe you'd find it in chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. The time the Midianites took over the land and there was famine there and the and, uh, Midian prevailed against Israel. Let me read chapter 6 and we'll read, uh, begin with verse 1 through 6. It says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the, land, the hand of Midian was against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the uh, mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel." neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude, for both they and their camels were without number. And they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. They were greatly impoverished. Seems like when they would sow that the enemy would come in and take all the increase of their land one way or another. And so they were left in need. And the time element, this little book of Ruth is sandwiched in uh, the book of Judges. In the days when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land. By the way, 
using that term sandwiched in between, you find that the 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 thing about a sandwich is what's important in the middle, isn't it? And so you have the book of Judges on one side and Samuel on the other side, but Ruth comes right in the midst of that. And the value is seen in the book of Ruth. came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. You know, Bethlehem, Judah means, Bethlehem, first of all, means uh, house of bread, and Judah means praise. It seems like they were leaving the place where they could really receive food and really be in the blessings of the Lord. And because it seemed like there was a famine at that time, that they were leaving the very place of blessing. Sometimes God's people do that. They say, well, it's not good for me here. The Bible speaks of a famine of the word. In Amos chapter 8 and verse 11, listen to this. Amos 8 verse 11 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Now, of course, in Ruth's day, there was a literal famine of bread. But it's typical and symbolical of uh, sometimes there's a famine of God's word. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy speaks of uh, the famine of God's word. In chapter 8 and verse 3, we have these words. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger. God said he suffered them to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. So he suffered the Israel to hunger for literal food, and he gave them manna. Sometimes God's people are, are uh, permitted to suffer hunger in order that God might feed them with a good heavenly food. We could go and talk about the famine. Remember that Jesus had to deal with Satan on this basis because... He was 40 days, and afterward, uh, in the wilderness, without food, and afterward, he hungered. And the devil says, turn these stones into bread, if, you, if thou be the Son of God. And Jesus said, it is written, he quotes from that very verse that I read, Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, and he said, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God shall man live. Job of old says, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Sometimes we get so tied up with food that we think that's the only thing that, that lets us live. And you know, we need food for our physical bodies. But sometimes we can live by the Word of God in the sense that uh, He feeds us in a spiritual way and uh, you forget the physical food for the time being. Remember it said about Jesus, He was 40 days and 40 nights and He was without food but it says, and afterward he hungered. It didn't say during the 40 days and 40 nights he hungered. Because he was in fellowship with God. The Spirit led him into the wilderness. The Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And it says he was led of the Holy Spirit. There are three different ways it's put about. And so he went in the, into the wilderness temptation in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was filled with the Word of God, the blessings of God. And he didn't need the things of this earth and and the physical food at that time. You know, a lot of people think fasting is just 
just say, I'm going to do without the noon meal. Fasting is when you're filled with things of God. And you don't need the noon meal. You really don't need it. And of course, I know there's different, you know, you can study that throughout the Bible and you'll find it. Have you ever been in services? You know, you get in a good uh, preaching service and you'll have uh, several preachers get up and preach and maybe they'll go to one, two o'clock and you are, are way past lunchtime and uh, and every, no one's hungry. And all of a sudden when they quit get through, well, everyone says, boy, I'm hungry now. They get starved. They're ready to go eat, right? But while the preaching's going on, you're being filled with the Word of God and the, the things of God. And uh, that's the way uh, we need to consider uh, being filled with the things of God. Remind me of a story. Maybe I should, well, I'll, you know, every time I say I won't tell it, I will. This family, they went to church, you know, and you had grandma and, and grandpa and you had mother and daddy and this little boy. And uh, so they were in one of these kind of meetings and and uh, when they went away after the preaching, they'd had all day dinner and preaching on the ground, all day preaching dinner on the ground. But anyway, sometimes it's the other way around. It's preaching's on the ground, too. I deliberately said it that way. But anyway, after the service was over, they went out, you know, and Grandma says, Boy, says, that was sure good. Says, says I'm just full up to here. And the little, little old boy says, And I've got a belly full of it, too. <laughs> he was tired. He wanted to go home. But when you think about the Word of God, it does fill you, doesn't it, with really spiritual food. But Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Before I come back to this, let me give you the, the, the meaning of these names. We gave you Bethlehem, Judah means, uh, Bethlehem means the house of uh, bread, and Judah means praise. Right beside Bethlehem, Judah, in verse 1, you could say the house of bread and praise. And then look, when you come down to uh, verse 2, the name of the man was Elimelech. Elimelech means my God is king. My God is king. You know, that may be true for him that his name meant that, but he was out of communion and fellowship with God because he was going away from the very place of the blessings of God. Sometimes it's better to stick it out. You know, we always think it's... Grass is greener on the other side. There's more food over there. Let's go over there and it'll be better. Sometimes it's not a bit better. Learn to stay at home. Stay where you are. Stay put. You find these guys coming through the country and they say, Brother Joyce, I'm here in Rio Dosa. I'm on my way to Missouri, Mississippi or somewhere. Uh, and, you know, I need some help. What are you doing out here on the road uh, trying to travel from across the country and no gas to put in your automobile? You, you were a hundred times better off where you were, regardless of where it was. People just running around trying to find a better better place. But you know there's people like that. And they say, here I am. Take care of me. Well, I didn't make the decision for you to leave in the first place. Usually we try to do what we can, help people along the way. But, you know, some people, you know, most of the wounds we have are in a self-inflicted wounds. We bring them on ourselves. And a lot of people do that. They're just real good at that. I mean, they're just professionals. That they're just a bottomless pit of needs. You could never fill up their needs if you work from now till doomsday, so to speak, because they create more needs all the time. They just magnify the situation. Who got you in that situation to start with? 
And anyway, that's just a, trying to use an example. This man, Elimelech, my God is king, was his name. Now look, Naomi means pleasant. You have verse 2? Look at these names now. Naomi means pleasant. No wonder she said down in verse 20, look. She said unto them, call me not Naomi. Don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because she said, look, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. She said, I don't want to be called by Naomi anymore. Just call me Mara. It fits better. It fits my situation better because the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. She didn't realize that she had brought most of it upon herself. God didn't bring bad things upon her. She was bringing these things upon herself by running away from the place where Bethlehem Judah, the house of bread and, and the house of praise and the house, place of blessing. And just because there was a little famine in the land, there was a famine in the land, she thought that it'd be that way always. But remember, she heard finally in verse uh, 6 that God had visited his people in giving them bread. She had been better off to stay there, wouldn't she? She lost her husband over in the land of Moab. She, uh, she lost her two sons. She came back with them. And she had two daughters-in-law. And one of them turned her back, her neck. Uh, Orpha means the back, by the way. You just well get that while we have it. Orpha means the back of her neck, down in verse 4. But Naomi means pleasant. You have verse 2. Uh, Malon means sick. And Chilion means pining. There was something about these two names that indicated they wouldn't be with her very long. And Ruth means, if you have Ruth in verse 4, there was or Orpah and the name of the other was Ruth. Ruth means tended. Tended as by a shepherd. And this is a type of true, the true remnant restored and converted or redemption. And one who's tended by the good shepherd. Redeemed by the good shepherd and tended by the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. And then the good shepherd rose again and called his own sheep by name. That great shepherd of the sheep. Remember? If you want the three things about the shepherd, you have uh, Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24. In Psalm 22, it comes before 23 because, you know, everyone's familiar with Psalm 23, right? You know what Psalm 23 says? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, right? He maketh me to lie down in the green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. This is the resurrection side. But in Psalm 22, you have the words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You have the rejected shepherd before you have the shepherd that is raised again and is our great shepherd. And then you have in Psalm 24, the king of glory. Shepherd is the king coming Again, in power and great glory. So you have three aspects of the shepherd. The good shepherd. And the great shepherd. And uh, remember that great shepherd of the sheep who brought again uh, from the dead. In Hebrews 13, let me read it for you. Let me give you three passages. Hebrews 13 and verse 20. It says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, uh, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. Now look, his resurrection is connected with that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. That's uh, Hebrews 13, verse 20. That connects you with Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm. He's that great shepherd of the sheep. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Remember after the resurrection, he said, Mary, she says, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. 
She recognized it. So, but before that, what do you have? The good shepherd, Psalm 22, laying down his life for the sheep. And then, since I got off on that, First Peter chapter 5, look. When he comes again in verse 4, Peter says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear. He's coming again as chief shepherd. As good shepherd, he laid down his life. As great shepherd, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. As uh, the, uh, what did we say? First Peter chapter 5, as the uh, chief shepherd. Good and great and chief. Put good by, by chapter uh, 22 of Psalms. He laid down his life. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? Put great by Psalm 23. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. It's in virtue of his resurrection that he's the leader of his sheep. Now, he leads us now because he's risen again and received on the right hand of God. And then put a chief as the chief shepherd. He shall appear. That's his coming again. So back to our text now. When we find Ruth in verse 4, the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 4, it says Ruth, uh, and that means tended as by a shepherd. So we have the meaning of the names. You have Bethlehem Judah, which is the house of bread and praise. And Elimelech means my God is king. Uh, Naoma means pleasant. Uh, Malon means pining. And Chilion, I mean, Malon means sick. And Chilion means pining. And they, they uh, go into the country of Moab. Verse 2, look at that. And they came into the country of Moab. Remember, the Moabites were a cursed people. We brought it out in our Sunday school lesson this morning. And we had Ruth, by the way, in the Gospel of Matthew, the first chapter, didn't we, in our lesson showing you that Ruth was a Moabitess and outside of the law and uh, of a cursed people. And here it says they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Now, Moab's a type of the world. <clears throat> the whole family was now in the world. What could be expected there? The Moabites represent the world in the church or an empty profession. But when God is deserted and worldly alliances are made, there's no such thing as standing still. Bad, bad matters are sure to become worse. When you get the world in the church and when the, church, the people of God get in the world and everything becomes worldly instead of spiritual. See, all they were concerned about was physical and material, right? They had an inheritance in Bethlehem, Judah. Remember, uh, Boaz has to redeem the inheritance buy back and purchase back what Naomi had lost by leaving that which belonged to Elimelech. Later on, when we read the story, I'm anticipating chapters 2 and 3, and Boaz had to buy that back as he took Ruth, and he had to redeem the inheritance of these that had left it behind. Sometimes we leave by, uh, behind the great inheritance, and what do we go for? Go for Moab. Go for the world and all of its pleasures and sins and uh, everything that it has to offer. And we think that just because we can find physical and material things there, that we have uh, uh, everything supplied. But that's not true. The physical and material is not the important thing. So look at this story here. You have Bethlehem Judah in verse 1. You have Elimelech in verse 2 and Naomi in verse 2 and the meaning of the names all through there. And they go... Verse 2 says, They came into the country of Moab and con continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Nothing but bad happens to her there. She's trying to w run away from her problems. It's kind of like, you know, when old Jonah, remember Jonah, 
tried to run away from the presence of the Lord, and he bought a ticket and went down uh, away from God, tried to get away from God, caught a ship going some other place. And what happened? It caught up with him, didn't it? Paul went on his trip and didn't have to buy a ticket at all. God sent him over there. He was a prisoner, all right. But God paid the, the Lord took care of Paul all the way through. And made, he said, Paul, you'll be surely, you'll surely go to Rome. You'll stand before Caesar. And sure enough, he did. But you see what happened. Old uh, Jonah, he tried to run away. These people were trying to run away. When you try to run away from the place where God can bless you, you're getting yourself in, in deeper all the time. You're causing your own problems. Someone says, oh, well, well uh, you know, it's not my fault. I was just trying to better myself. Well, you may have been trying to better yourself, but you better use a little wisdom along the way and a little spiritual guidance along the way. They ought to have known that God would not desert His people and that He would visit His people with bread. And if they just stay put, that He would bless them there in Bethlehem, Judah, that it's the house of bread, and they were God's people. But they run away. Now, I'm sure there are other people that stayed there. Boaz stayed, didn't he? Other people stayed there. The family, there was a famine there, but some of them stuck it out, right? Some of them stuck it out. And so when they come back, Boaz has to redeem. He's, he's wealthy enough now. He's a man of wealth, a man of strength. But how did he get that strength? And how did he get that wealth? By running around and going from here to yon? Going from one place to another? How did he get that position of security? I mentioned him a friend of mine this morning in, uh, I don't know whether it was in preaching or Sunday school or whenever it was, but I mentioned a friend of mine that uh, was raised up with me. They finally located him over here at Deming. I still haven't word yet, but I knew I had contact with him about six months ago. And uh, he bought a place over here close to Nogal or Capitan or somewhere. And anyway, to make a long story short, I haven't been able to get in contact with him. A fellow called me from California last night and said he's over in Deming and in the hospital and he's having to have a kidney dialysis treatments and he was in the hospital. The last report was with congestive heart failure and he'd gotten out of the hospital and gotten into a motel over there. He's broken off ties with his friends and his family. His son is down in Dallas. He has a sister somewhere in Texas. He has an ex-wife. He has a a woman that he was living with in California that has a restraining order says that she don't want him to come around anymore. And, you know, your life can get so messed up. It can get so messed up. And all unnecessary. All unnecessary. If you seek God's guidance and let Him establish you and bless you and help you, then He will do it. But there are so many people that do not do that. So we find that uh, now that's the problem, isn't it? A lot of times people just don't use any common sense about what they do. And so we need a little common sense along the way. All right? Let's think of this. I think uh, Miss Swift wasn't feeling well and they had to, to go just now. So, okay, let's look at verse uh, 3. And Elimelech, Naaman's husband, died and she was left and her two sons. Now she just has uh, two sons. And, and they took them wives of the women of Moab. There's another mistake in a sense. We know that God overruled it for His glory and, and good because Ruth was, was brought into the line of, uh, so that Jesus would be born and she would be the, in the genealogy of Christ. But on the other hand, humanly speaking, it was a mistake. Had not God overruled it, it would have been a terrible mistake. You know, God can take our mistakes and turn them into blessings. And He took even Naomi's and restored her 
because she turned back and went back home. Ruth became a real blessing. She was redeemed by Boaz from the curse that she was under as a Moabitess. He was the only one that could do it. We'll prove that later on. Because remember we said in Deuteronomy, of what was it, 23, verse 3? Look at 23, verse 3. It says, An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Did you know Boaz was of the tenth generation, so he's the only one that could have redeemed her and brought her into the uh, fellowship and the congregation of the Lord? He's the only one. And I can give you those. I don't have them with me tonight. I think it's from Adam to Abraham is ten, and from Isaac to uh, Noah is ten, from Noah to, to Boaz, another ten, the third of the tenth generation. And so Boaz was that very man that could do the job. It's amazing, isn't it? An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even unto their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. If it were not for that exception unto the tenth generation and having a man to redeem her and get her out of that situation, she would have been exiled forever. See? So... You know, there's only there's a unique thing about Boaz. He was typical of Christ. There's only one person, unique of all history and of all time, that could redeem us, and that's Jesus, right? And Boaz is typical of Jesus. By the way, if you have your passage open, hold your place open in the book of Ruth. When you come to the second chapter, verse 1, it says, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And we gave you the meaning of names, and here Boaz means strength is in him. Strength is in him. He was a mighty man of wealth. He had strength, and he had means. He had the ability, and he was willing to redeem. And we're going to get into the law of redemption as we study this, and we're going to find that there was a kinsman nearer than Boaz, but he could not redeem because he would mar his own inheritance. And we'll get into that when we start studying about the how the fact is that Boaz was the only one that could really do the job. That first kinsman represents the law, and the law could not redeem us, right? But Jesus could, and that's why you have the two different kinsmen redeemers here. And the law got first chance, but he says, I can't do it because I'll mar my own inheritance. And Boaz says, well, if you can't, I can, because I've kept the inheritance. I've kept the law. I've, it, everything's all right. It's all of grace now. And Boaz had strength in him to redeem and to pick up what the law could not do. Romans 8, verse 3. What did Jesus, what is it said about Jesus? Paul said, For what the law could not do, the first Redeemer, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, a sacrifice for sin, an offering for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Now, listen, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So we had to have a kinsman redeemer. And Boaz pictures Jesus as our Savior and our kinsman redeemer. So this whole family in the book of Ruth, chapter 1 now, this whole family was down there in Moab. Uh, in verse uh, 4 again, they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpha, the back of her neck. And the name of the other was Ruth, means tended. 
and they dwell there about ten years in Malon. Now look, verse 5. In Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. No wonder she says, don't call me Naomi Pleasant anymore. Call me what? Mara. Call me Mara because God's dealt bitterly with me. And then it says, now that was the, actually that was leaving, leaving uh, the land and the loneliness of widowhood from verses 1 through 5. Now we have the return, verses 6 and 7. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. That's a good move, isn't it? Kind of like the prodigal. He said, I will arise and go to my father. I'll go back where it's good. I think she had learned her lesson by now. It says, For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. She had heard. She had faith now that there's something there. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, doesn't it? And she had heard of the good news. You hear the good news. How that there's the bread to be had. She heard the Lord had visited the people and giving them bread. Therefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. The land of Judah is the land of praise. Judah means praise. They were going back home where they'd be under the blessings of God, and they could have praise and thanks to God. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. She didn't have anything to offer these two daughters-in-law. She said, "My the sons were dead. Their husbands were dead. Naomi's sons were dead. Ruth and Orpha's husbands were dead. Same two men, uh, Malon and, and Chilion. And so we find that she said, if I were to uh, be able to have a husband now and have children, it would be years before they would be uh, grown enough. Would you wait for them till they were grown so that you could marry them? She wanted her two daughters-in-law not to waste their lives. And she says, uh, she gave all the reasons, the logical reasons why they should leave and go back to their own families. Now then, Naomi is a picture of a backslider, by the way. She's a picture of the backslider, and Orpha is a picture of a mere professor. Now, she makes a good profession. She says, I'm going with you. Orpha does. But she turns her the back of her neck. She turns back, Right? But Ruth is a picture of a true Christian that sticks with the sticks with it, right? So you have Naomi on the backslider, Orpha, a professor, mere professor, and Ruth, a picture of a true Christian. Let's see how that bears out as we study this again. Look at verse 9. Well, verse 8. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with uh, the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that... You may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and, and wept. They loved her, and they said unto her, Surely we, we will return uh, with thee unto, the, unto thy people. Both of them were ready to go with her. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? This is a pathetic story, isn't it? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but she turns her back. She turns back. But Ruth clave unto her. Orpha kissed her. 
but she turns back and goes back to her people. But Ruth clave unto her. Here's Ruth's devotion. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people, and unto her gods return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from falling after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God uh, my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. She was determined, wasn't she? She was dedicated. She represents real devotion and real conviction. You know, God's grace is doing a great and mighty work in Ruth. She's determined now to go with Naomi. And she says in verse eight in, in verse eighteen, when she saw, Naomi says, when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. You know, if a person's going to accept the Lord, you have a harder time convincing them not to than you do try to trying to persuade them to. That's why this persuasion business on the part of humanity uh, uh, preachers isn't the wrong thing to do because if a person's been on accepting the Lord, you can't hardly keep them back. It doesn't make any difference, you know. But uh, what happens a lot of times, we're trying to make a decision for people and we manipulate and we plead and we plow and we do every kind of thing. Boy, we really go through the all the tactics that we know anything about to try to convince them that they need to come to Jesus. When if they're really convinced, they'll come anyway. Look at the woman of Samaria. Look at Jesus. You know, if we talk about soul winning, I, I believe Jesus was the best example I know of, about anyone being a soul winner, don't you? And how did he handle the woman of Samaria? He sat on Jacob's well. He asked for a drink. Uh, she said, well, this is water. Uh, how can I get this water? The well's deep says, you, you can't get water out of this well. You have nothing to draw with. Physical water. And Jesus said, you know, if you knew who was speaking to you, you would ask of him and he would have given you living water. And she said, sir, you have nothing to draw with. Where are you going to get this living water? And Jesus, he said, well, he says, uh, go call your husband and bring him and I'll give you some of this water. Right? And what's the first thing he did? He revealed her sin. She says, Sir, I have no husband. And Jesus said, You've rightly said you did have five husbands, but the one you now have that you're living with is not your husband. In that saidest thou truly. You see, the first thing is to reveal a person's sin. If they realize they're a sinner, they can be saved. Okay, the next thing uh, that Jesus did was after her sin was revealed, uh, she was willing to receive that living water that he gave her by grace. And she went away into the city. She left her water pot there that she came to draw water to get, get water out of Jacob's well, right? And she left her water pot and went away into the city and said, Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? So she became a witness then, didn't she, as a result. But Jesus didn't say, Now, you, you've got to come and I'll give you this water. He didn't plead with her and beg her or anything. He revealed her sin. He said, I've got this water. Do you want some of it? And then he was willing to give it to her. And he gave her a fountain of living water, a well of living water. And sometimes our tactics are not altogether following the Scriptures in the way we do to try to deal with people. And if a person doesn't want the Lord, there's no sense you and I standing there and beating our brains against their 
rebellion against God. You tell them, you tell them that they can have Jesus and they can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you can present the gospel to them and say this will save you. And the, the Holy Spirit has to do a work and change that person's mind. And Ruth is a picture of one that was truly converted. She says, no, Naomi, you're not going to get away from me. I'm determined to go with you. And when a person really wants to be saved, you don't have to drag them down that aisle. They'll walk down that aisle quickly. And a lot of times we drag on an invitation, don't we? We've seen preachers that just... I've seen preachers that have a longer invitation than they have a message. And they sit there and beg and plead and finally people get tired and finally someone nudges someone else and, and you know, maybe there's a person there that needs to be saved and first thing you know, maybe they get him to come because if they don't, he'll stay there the rest of the day. That's not good. That's not the way. God's Holy Spirit has to work in the hearts and lives of people. I don't believe that you're going to have to drag people around if you do what God says. Ruth said, uh, I'm ready to go with you. Where you die, I will die. She's typical of a picture of a true Christian and true conviction, true dedication. And grace had begun doing a mighty work in Ruth. And she was, uh, verse 18, it says concerning Naomi, when she saw that she was steadfast, this is Naomi saw that Ruth was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they went to, so they too went uh, until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? 